You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming online at WERA.FM. Public education is the bedrock of democracy. We have to teach our students to be thinkers, to, you know, to ask questions. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome! More than 30 years ago, Dan Rothstein and Luz Santana had an important insight. Not knowing what to ask, not knowing how to come up with questions, keeps people from participating in any decisions that affect them. Dan and Luce were founders of the Right Question Institute, an organization devoted to, you guessed it, asking good questions. And they went on to develop two techniques that I have really come to appreciate. You may have heard me talk about the question formulation technique, a strategy for students and others to generate and refine questions to help direct their own learning. But you haven't heard much from me about their work on micro-democracy, and I'm about to fix that egregious oversight. Micro-democracy is the idea that ordinary encounters with public agencies are opportunities for individual citizens to act democratically and to participate effectively in decisions that affect them. The Right Question Institute strategy is to teach two deceptively simple but very powerful skills, asking questions and participating in decision-making. Those make it easier for people who are interacting with publicly funded services like schools, for instance, to advocate for themselves more effectively in their encounters with those public agencies. It's a process RQI calls the Voice in Decisions Technique, VIDT for short. And VIDT focuses on the reason for a decision, processes for making that decision, and the role we can play in the decision. For folks at the Right Question Institute, each element of the VIDT ties to a fundamental principle of decision-making in a democracy, legitimacy, transparency, and opportunities for participation. They say that when you ask questions about the reason for a decision, you expect those reasons to be legitimate. When you ask questions about the process, you expect to have a right to know how the decision was made, so transparency. And when you ask questions about your role, you expect and you're looking for an opportunity to participate in the decision. Links to all of this, of course, on my website. And it got me thinking about how we experience micro-democracy in Arlington, all the ways we might come to understand the reasons, the processes, our roles in decision-making, and about those who are charged with getting us involved in those processes. It is, after all, all about some form of curiosity and figuring out what questions to ask, when, and of whom, and what questions we might expect to be asked of us. And that brought me to Dulce Carrillo, Supervisor of Public Engagement for Arlington Public Schools. Dulce oversees and coordinates community engagement processes across departments, schools, and the district on a wide range of issues and decision points for APS. Her job is to help families and community leaders both understand ways they can support student success. I first met Dulce in the fall of 2013, and she's worn a number of hats since then. But the fabric of every hat, if you will, 
has been woven of her commitment to connecting people and empowering them to engage in and with the community. She's warm, she's wise, and she was game to join me for a conversation about how curiosity might contribute to her efforts. So welcome, Dulce. Thank you, Lynn. So exciting to be on your show, which I'm already a fan of. I'm delighted to have you do this with me. You've like known me through this whole journey. So it's fun that we finally get to intersect in this way. So what did you think of when I asked about, you know, how curiosity might show up in your work in community engagement? What came up for you? Well, I thought it, first of all, what a great question. I don't think I had asked myself that. Although as I thought more about how do we get people engaged? I was putting myself in the shoes of parents and community members and thinking, what what can we do to make them curious about being more involved, of understanding what we do and why, and of recognizing, most importantly, that their voice matters, that we're actually listening? Because we come across people who think that, oh, you're just asking us to you know, check a box and you don't really, you already know what you're going to do. And to really dispel that and say, no, we're inviting you in because we know that when we get input, we make better decisions. Well, I was so impressed. I mean, I get your emails, your community outreach emails. And I took a look at the schedule events on your website, apsva.us slash engage. And there's just an incredible assortment, information nights, work sessions, meetings, hearings, special events, surveys. And I know you and I both believe deeply that connection and engagement are important, almost as a foundational value, I suspect. But why is that engagement important for APS? Well, I think you mentioned earlier some of the reasons, and and that is because it's our job as public servants to ensure that Students have a great education and a good experience, and there's so much besides what's in the classroom. You know, we have a a school board, we have decisions to make long-term planning, strategic plans, and so we we want parents and community members to understand sort of what's behind what what goes into it before your child actually sits in the classroom and listens to a teacher, what curriculum they're getting, you know, all of the decisions. And and you mentioned so many that it reminded me that it can be overwhelming. So I, I always tell parents, don't try to be involved in everything. Pick one thing that you care mm-hmm. about and be involved there. And slowly you might move to another topic or to multiple topics, but do not try to eat it all at once because I work here and I can't do it all. I have to pick <laughs> and choose what I'm, I'm going to dive into. And it sounds like, you know, having sort of a gentle entry into it, so you're not completely overwhelmed, because it is, it is completely overwhelming if you try to do it all, but kind of finding one thing that's like, okay, I'm a little curious about this, or I care a lot about that, and that that's a way for people to get engaged and start to become more familiar with the process. Because once you have a feel for it, you kind of know how to navigate other places as well, right? Yes. And and you know Arlington. In Arlington, we are blessed with very active people, very highly educated, well-spoken. They understand the importance of being part of this mini-democracy, as you call it. And so we have a lot of that. I think where our challenge comes is how do we balance that with families who are new to Arlington? And we have a 
a significant number of immigrant families as well who don't necessarily come with that optic. And I can speak for myself. My family immigrated from Mexico. And when we went to school, the way my parents uh, thought about school was teachers are very well respected. You don't argue. And there was no opportunity really where Mm -hmm. we, you know, where they, when they went to school to come in and advocate for your child or ask for this versus that. It was basically, what did the teacher say? That's what we're going to do. So shifting mindsets for people who come from places like my family and to tell them, actually, no, here we really are seeking to be a more open school system where we, because we believe that you are the expert in your child and you can tell us you know, more about your child so that we can serve your child better. It, is, it takes a little bit of a, a mind shift for mm-hmm. some people and we have to work on that to balance that we're hearing from a variety of voices, not always the same voices who are used to advocating, know how to do it, and show right, up. Right. Do you think that this question of that not knowing what questions to ask is, does that resonate for you? Does that make sense that that's something that they would have picked up on? Oh, definitely. I think that, you know, starting point is a lot of times when we go to uh, certain communities, we ask, oh, you know, you should fill out the survey. We can help you. We really want to know your your opinion about this. Sometimes parents will just automatically say, oh, no, I don't know anything about it. Like, don't ask me. I don't, uh-huh. I'm not an expert in that. And and so we, you know, it takes a little convincing to say, no, we're precisely going to parents who don't know anything about it. We want to let us know if this is a survey, you know, how we can make the survey better, but it really is for every parent. So there's no, like, really takes a little bit of convincing. Sometimes it's like, I don't know enough to even give you my opinion. And, and we want to dispel that and say, you do know enough. You, you're a parent. Of, you know, your child's here. We we want to hear just your gut reaction, even mm-hmm. if you haven't read about it. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because it's not only that you're asking questions and people not feeling that they necessarily have answers or are entitled to offer answers, but the flip side of it of like, what are the questions they would ask of you, right? And and I don't know if you have mechanisms for that specifically, but but there is something different about being asked a question versus asking the question. And do you see that? Do you see how that, do you see consequences of that? Do you see that playing out one way or the other in your work? Yeah, we, you know, I, I want to say, you know, what I just spoke about is the minority of cases. We right. have a, a many people who do have a lot to say or questions to ask. And how do I find out? How do I get involved? When did that you know, committee get put together and why didn't I get notice of it? And so we, we have lots of parents and I've all, of all, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, like you said, there's going to be more people who have more time on their hands who understand that they should be a participate. But I have parents, you know, in Spanish, Mongolian, very active parents who, you know, they want to know how to, you know, what's going to happen. And recently we have, we added some holidays into the schedule like how did that come about why are we celebrating Diwali now and Eid and Mm -hmm. Rosh Hashanah and so taking them back and say well a year ago we put out calendars to the community and you would have noticed that those were options and and just explained into people sort of the process and how it and you know it's long term right right and those additions are nice opportunities for people's curiosity right it's like so here's cool you may not have known of these celebrations and these important annual markers in other people's lives, people in our own community that have been, you know, unrecognized, uncelebrated, unacknowledged. It seems to me those things create nice opportunities 
to pique curiosity as well. Precisely. I loved it. One one uh, person asked me, "Wow, so you're you're adding Diwali and Eid and and you know and Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah? How come you're not adding any Christian holidays?" And that was really funny because they had never thought. It was so like, like Christmas so driven and Easter. By- <laughs> right. So I said, oh, actually we do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the winter break is around Christmas and the spring break is around Easter. And they, it was like, their eyes open. Like, I never knew that we've always had it. It just seemed like you were adding something and not including me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was fascinating. That is fascinating. And I, I want to pause on that because I think that's actually a really important observation that, you know, often speaking as a white Christian in this country, everything is sort of historically been kind of organized in my favor, right? And so you don't even stop to recognize or see that. So these things are also an opportunity to kind of bring curiosity to my own experience or realization like, oh, not everybody gets their major holidays off every year, not just a day, but a week or two at a time. And that that's a, that's a qualitatively different experience. And and so literally the school calendar is an opportunity to engage those conversations. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. And I and it, it did reflect that back exactly what you said. Wow, it's so invisible because it's always been there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what else do you wish people were curious about in terms of this your your job with community engagement? Well, I'll, I'll begin with what I'm curious about. And I and I always wonder, like, how do people prefer to receive their information? So we have channels. We we put it out on the web. We send email. We, you know, we're now doing WhatsApp in Spanish for parents who we know use it or social media. But the, the question that I'm always curious about, what radio stations are our mm-hmm. families listening to? How what, what are they actually opening and what are they not using? Right. And on the flip side is, what are we not, what have we not considered? I want parents to tell, ask us, have you thought about doing it this way or that way? Or what night of the week works for you if you, if we want you to be engaged in your child's school? What time of the evening? What, what are those? Those are always, we can lay things out, but if we don't know their preferences for, or curiosity about their lifestyle, are they working at night by day? Or are they having a family dinner? Are the kids in sports? How do we know when is a good time to bring people together after drop off, yeah. you know, having coffee with the principal? So that's a question that I I do think we had. I didn't think about it as curiosity, but that's always trying to pin down what are multiple times that work for a lot of people so that we can actually engage them more. It's actually a really interesting point because, you know, what what you're trying to do is start conversations, right? And there are definitely times when we're more able to have a conversation. I mean, you just think about like when you when you can connect with your friends and being attentive to not just what's efficient in terms of getting your message out, but what's effective in terms of actually going where people are and and being open and curious about that since it isn't necessarily, it's certainly not the same for everyone and it is not necessarily what we anticipate. Exactly. So have you had surprises on that? Are there things that have happened where it's like you had kind of an aha moment? It's like, oh, wow, that wouldn't have occurred to me. What a great idea. Well, you know, I think COVID forced us into a lot of things that we were Mm. quite uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. All of our 
our, our meetings with families went virtual and I was very nervous because I know that a lot of our parents say they like to come in person if they can and they like the connection. In short order, we had all of our moms on Zoom. And, you know, and now and some of them like that because they don't have to wrap up their kids and bring them with or they don't have. So I think some of that is going to stay for parents who really liked or they put their kids to bed early and they're able to talk to them. They don't mm-hmm. need a babysitter. Mm. So I realized, one, that we have to remember how how smart and capable all of our families are. And they were able to make that jump in many cases there are still limitations. Not everybody has a laptop, so they're doing it on their phone. And sometimes if you require, you know, two devices, one to listen to watch a program and another one to listen to the interpretation, that could be a challenge. But I realized that some of the stuff that we thought might be hard for families, some of them took to it really well and are saying that they'd like to keep some of that. So those are that interesting. That was really interesting. And, you know, there's still preferences we're going to see as we are able to come together more what people prefer, but I think that's here to stay in, in some ways. So, you know, one of the things I like to do in this show is sort of harvest curiosity practices, things that people do that they might not have until I asked thought of as curiosity practices, but ways that they use curiosity in their work and their lives. Do you have what I would describe as curiosity practices of your own that you use? I, I mean, I wish that I could say, yes, I already have them. I was pining for that in preparation for this, thinking, what do I do that's uh-huh. curiosity? And what I did come up with was, well, I am always asking, how do you get your information? And, where, you know, if we have to go to a radio station, what are the your top radio stations or what topics? I, I mine even our communications platforms and see which which things get most likes or most in, in interactions. And, and that gives me a clue to what people care more about, what they want to see more of. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are institutional practices that in my, you know, in communications we do in general, we, we constantly revisit how did that go and how do we make it better for the next go around, you know, in, in our research and our planning and our, in our implementing whatever communication strategies we have. And then evaluation is always the last piece to, to close out that cycle. That review and evaluation, that's a form of curiosity, right? You're sort of asking, you're challenging yourself. Did it actually, did it have the desired effect? Were there unintended consequences? What can we learn from that? Sometimes we do things and we don't do the evaluation, right? We're not actually all that curious about whether it had the desired effect. We're just like, no, it was the right thing to do. So, so I view that as a curiosity practice. I'll give you, I'll give you points for that. Absolutely. So do you think that there is a, a curiosity practice that if implemented by all of us starting today could make a significant difference in our community? And what would be different from that? Oh, absolutely. I, I love people and I am curious about people. I love, if I'm in a room, I will gravitate to somebody I've who looks like the least likely person I would know or have something in common with. Cause I always come out blown away with, wow, we have something in common and how fascinating this person is. But I would say if we all thought of other people as, uh, you know, challenge ourselves to find out about people we know nothing about, or especially if we have assumptions about and try to go in and say, let me learn about this particular person, not, where they're from or their gender or whatever the box that we, you know, our minds naturally put people in 
and say, what can I learn about this person that I would not have known otherwise? I think we really elevate the empathy for one another because we would get to know one another as, as individuals rather than kind of who we thought, oh, you are like this and you're like that. You know, I, I expect that already. I wanted to mention about democracy because you mentioned how important it is. And that is, that is where I, a lot of times where I start with parents, I've, I've gone to several schools when we could do it in person, what we call Engage 101 workshops, where I would sit with parents, the same school community, and just ask them, tell me about why or why not you're, you're joining your PTA or whatnot. Tell me more about engaging in your school. Do you want to engage at the classroom level, the school level, the district level? There's all these ways you can engage. And again, telling them just start small, get comfortable and see where that leads you. But then I always tell them, like, in this country, this is a democracy, and this democracy, this is how it works. It's not just when you go to the polls every four years and you elect somebody. It's the everyday actions that you take when you, when you give your voice on a survey at a school, when you ask for something, when you find out who, in your, who is running for local government and what they stand for. Does that align with what you believe? And I, and I really link it back to, you know, for me... Public education is the bedrock of democracy. We have to teach our students to be thinkers, to you know, to ask questions, to participate and be active civil servants as while they're learning all their content and while they're preparing for college and for the rest of their lives. That's a, a fundamental piece that they have to, and we have to show them and practice by invo- involving the student voice as we make decisions. That they're watching their parents also be part of the decision-making process as we move forward. So I do think it ties back to democracy. That is how democracy works. All those little ways that we share our voice and our opinion and we support and participate uh, makes us a stronger democracy. So I put it out to all of our schools and tell the principals I'm available. If you have a parent group at your school, let me know what day and time and I'll come and give a, a talk about all the ways you can be engaged and how. That's very cool. So before I let you go, are you game for my big jar one of the analogies? I am. Okay. All nice. right. So here, here it is. This is my big jar right here. And it's full of slips of paper. I'm going to take out one for you, one for me, one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. Uh, all right. Yours is school bus. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I'm talking about schools and what comes up school bus. And mine is skyscraper. You want to go first or you want me to go? Um, you go ahead. Okay. Okay. Huh. You know, I was just walking around Roslyn yesterday admiring, I don't know if they're skyscrapers, but, you know, the tall high-rise buildings. And, and the curiosity is like a skyscraper um, because it's a way of kind of reaching new heights. And if you go to the top of those buildings, you get a very different perspective on things. And I think the same thing. If you if you follow curiosity, you get a really different perspective. So I'll say that. So how is curiosity like a school bus? That was good, Lynn. Um, I'm going to say that curiosity is like a school bus because when you come upon an idea, it's like hopping onto a school bus and then going for a ride and and looking at the different ways your idea can transform and, you know, even your perspective changes as the school bus takes a turn. But hopefully, you know, when you get to the other side of your, uh, on the other side, 
you have satisfied some of that curiosity and hopefully you're really eager to hop back on that bus to get back. Nice. 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 Think about that every time I see the school buses in the morning. (laughs) And audience, yours is typewriter. How is curiosity like a typewriter? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. So Dulce, thank you so much for this. And thank you. I mean, just thank you also as someone whose kids came up through APS and, you know, who just really appreciates the value of the work that you're doing. Thank you for doing it for all of us. Thank you so much also for bringing the question of curiosity up. I think that is such a wonderful topic for all of us and you're showing us just how we should be using curiosity a little more and helping us to be more curious so thank you Lynn well I love the idea that curiosity is engagement is democracy thank you for that You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. Find us online at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number 2, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your typewriter analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest and friend, Dulce Carillo. Be sure to visit apsva.us slash engage to see how you can connect. Links there, as well as to the Right Question Institute, all on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack, proud graduate of the Arlington Public Schools, for our theme music. And this is Town Market from One Such Village via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.